Hi, this is Timothy Zahn, author of Thrawn, and you're listening to Execute Chapter 66. Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we are talking about the newest High Republic book, Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course with me as always are Ryan Schweck and Chad J. Schonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to spoil this book and by, I mean, we're going to spoil this book and there's a lot that goes on in this book. Over the course of our conversation, we may discuss anything else Star Wars up to and including the latest episode of the book of Boba Fett. That has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, hit us with some news. I, surprisingly, there was a little more going on than I thought when I sat down to make my list for the evening. <laughs> Before we get into the news news um, part of it, you know, I just want us to, I guess, acknowledge the passing of uh, Dave Wolverton, who was a writer, wrote The Courtship of Princess Leia. I did not know that. That was the first writer to, he made up the Night Sisters and Dathomir. Um, so a big contributor to canon and some things that are still really important in Star Wars today. Yeah, I didn't hear that. Um, I met Dave... Yeah, probably 25 years ago to con like my, my courtship of princess Leia signed um, by him. But uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. He created the night sisters. Um, so moving into our news, uh, Anthony Daniels is playing C3PO again. He has posted that he is currently doing some motion capture and it's him in the suit playing C3, not the C3PO suit, but the motion capture suit. Uh, nobody knows what it's for. I mean, I can't imagine they're doing any motion capture for Bad Batch. So, no. who knows what it is? I don't know. New Star Tours ride? I don't know. It could be. It's probably going to be on the Halcyon or some nonsense. Uh, it could be on the Halcyon. It could totally be on the Halcyon. God. Um, all electronic arts made the rumors official. Uh, I think we talked about them last one. EA, even though they are no longer the exclusive maker of star Wars games. Um, I guess because it all got leaked when it hadn't officially announced, you know, Jedi fallen order two or whatever it's going to be called the shooter and then the strategy game. So, you know, they got spoiled and had to get ahead of it. Speaking of the shows, we do know that, uh, Mandalorian season three, despite the rumors of it being behind schedule and not filming is, that's apparently exactly where it's supposed to be. Um, so they're still on their time frame for that. Um, well, well, we'll talk about what they also were probably doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's on an episode coming soon. In a month. Other show news. Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been cast on Ahsoka. The rumors, of course, are flying that she is playing Hera. I don't know. She, I don't know. I like her a lot. I think she's great in Suicide Squad. I like a lot of her stuff, but if she's going to be on Ahsoka, is she too young for Hera? I mean, she'll be in makeup, obviously, but... Yeah, I think she is too young. I mean, Winstead's what? She's in her late 30s? I don't know. I, I like her. I've been I've been a fan since Death Proof, even. 
Um, she was yeah. in that. And then, uh, um, of course, Scott Pilgrim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mind looking at her. Yeah. <laughs> I, again, with makeup and stuff, she totally could be. I don't. I don't know. If she's right for Hera, but yeah, I've seen a couple of, like photoshops where people have kind of made her into Hera, and it it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, yeah, everything about Ahsoka, and I am so looking forward to Ahsoka. I can't wait. But it's just everything is always tied back to something, and I know we've talked about this, but. I'm going to need something new eventually. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 You know, and maybe she's not again. It's all rumors, but we'll see for us. Yes. But for a lot of people, it is going to be new. Mm-hmm. That I is think true. we have to kind of remember that too. For a lot of people, that's good. These are going to be new characters. You know, I had friends that like during the Mandalorian were like, who's this Ahsoka Tano? <laughs> How much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Sit down at my feet and I will spin a tail. Mm-hmm. It all starts on a planet named Christophsis. <laughs> uh, over in book news, just if our listeners want to check it out, uh, Claudia Gray did a really good interview um, just about Fallen Star and you know some of the things that went into writing it. Um, like we hypothesized, the top half of Starlight's going to be covered in the comics. Or like we will hypothesize in about 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> Stay tuned. Like we're about to hypothesize. <laughs> Stay tuned for we were right. <laughs> um, and, and there's just some other like interesting things about kind of her writing process and what happened with certain characters and how it evolved. So I definitely recommend checking out the interview. Did she mention Kevin? There is no Kevin or Douglas. A- it is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, and then in our final news tonight on the toy side, I will say it is totally understandable, but they have announced that Star Wars black figures are jumping in price yet again to twenty four ninety nine a piece, which, you know, I know everything's getting more expensive, but they just did a price hike driving me nuts. Just wait till Russia invades Ukraine and oil prices go up everywhere. Dang plastic. But on the plus yeah. side, they did announce that Hasbro was going to make Indiana Jones toys. So that'll be Yeah, fun. they did. Yeah, that's about all we got for the news this week. What's going on in the comics? Um, well, first of all, I have to apologize to Ryan. He was right. Last time I did miss a High Republic Eye of the Storm Part 1 by Charles Sewell. And it is the origin of Martian Rowe. And I think it's safe to call it essential reading just is it kind of reminds me of Sewell's um rise of kylo ren but better that's not too hard <laughs> it's only two issues but um it does tell you like what the what planet they're from what you know what what their people are called martians people and everything so i would say it's fairly essential uh then there's high republic number 13 written by kevin scott just like you mentioned uh avar has left starlight beacon with a mess of jedi to hunt down lorna d High Republic Trail of Shadows number four or five follows more of uh, Sean and Emmerich's investigation into basically the levelers. I think you might see a leveler in the comic. I'm not 100% sure that's what it is, but it's a giant ugly creature that saps the force out of Emmerich. And and uh, and he ends up mentioning all of the people turning to dust. I don't know. I, that might be a leveler. Uh, it ends with them headed back to Starlight Beacon only to find it on fire. So more on that later this episode as well. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, out of the High Republic. The only thing we have is Dr. Afra number 18 by Alyssa Wong, part of Crimson Rain, 
We get a little backstory for uh, Just Lucky, who is probably my least favorite Star Wars name since ever. And Afra continues racing an old rival to collect tech made by an ancient cult of dark side users called the Ascendant. Star Wars, The High Republic, Mission to Disaster. Written by Justina Ireland. Illustrations by Peter Antonson. All right, so before we get into the main book tonight, we are going to talk about the, what is this, the middle, middle grade book? Yes. By Justina Ireland, Mission to Disaster. So the publisher's summary is, the Jedi think the dreaded Nihil Marauders have been all but defeated. Their leader is on the run and their numbers have dwindled. Jedi Knight Vernestra Rowe, Vern, hopes that this means she will finally have the time to train her Padawan Imri Kantaros. But reports of a Nihil attack on Port Haleep soon dash those hopes. For not only have the Nihil attacked the peaceful outpost, they have abducted Vernestra and Emery's friend Avon Staros. The two Jedi set off for Port Haleep, determined to figure out where the Nihil have taken their friend. Meanwhile, Avon must put her smarts and skills to the ultimate test as she fights for survival among the Nihil and uncovers a sinister plan. Can Vernestra and Imri find their friend before disaster strikes? The answer is no. Uh, <laughs> discuss. So to start with, can we talk about how they screwed up the release of this book? Yeah. Yes. It is Please. a rare mess up. So if you remember way back to, I think, the December episode, we talked about how Lucasfilm or Lucas Publishing announced that the book had been delayed due to pub, like I guess they said supply chain issues with getting the book printed, and they confirmed like, yep, we're delaying the audiobook, all of it, till March first, and then sure enough, on old January fourth, the Kindle version came out, <laughs> the audiobook came out. Yep, that's a that's a big mess up for them. Yeah, it's weird. It's huge, especially considering this book needed to be read before the Claudia Gray book. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it doesn't. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it, doesn't it doesn't have to be, but you realize by the end, like, they mention things in Fallen Star that happen in Mission to Disaster. Right. And I was confused. And then I read this book afterwards and went, oh. Oh, well, I guess I needed to read this book first. Yeah, it threw me off when they were like, well, we can just put Starlight Beacon into hyperspace and shoot on over to the planet. And they were like, nope, doesn't work. We have to come up with an idea. And I was like, well, yeah, you tow it. I already read that in the other book. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, Once again, I don't think that's how hyperspace works. <laughs> I messaged you guys instantly as soon as I got to the part where it said uh, Avon was on Starlight Beacon. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait, no, our, Avon's not on Starlight Beacon because I, I assumed that this attack, that this that, that, that the attack on um, Port Halep was part of the opening salvo of the Nihil attack yep. in Fallen Star is what I was under that assumption for the entire book mm-hmm. until it got to the point where Avon was on the beacon. And I was like, oh, but Avon's not on the beacon when all that happens. 
<laughs> and, and then right. I well, neither is Emery, Emery, and I'm just like, wait, he's wait, he's there, and oh, wait, no, this is this is all messed up. Well, remember they did that with the with the middle aged book, or maybe it was with the YA book for the last phase where they just covered another part of the fair, right. Right, but it was it was kind of all happening at the same time, and it was just different points of view. But this was clearly not. No, this chronologically goes before the other one. Mm-hmm. You should, if you want to read them chronologically, you should read this before. I kept thinking, like before I started it, just knowing the title because I hadn't read the summary of it. I was like, oh, well, we're going to learn about what happened on the top part of the ship. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Maybe. Is that what – that can't be what Midnight Horizons about, is it? I wouldn't. No, it's uh, – I actually read a, a thing about it already because in uh, the Claudia Gray book, it's something about – they mentioned fighting on Corellia. And then I read a little preview of what the YA book is, That's and it's right, about yeah. what's happening on Corellia. Yeah. Are we ever going to find out what happens in the top – well, we'll talk about that when we get to the <laughs> – Back to the the mission to disaster. Mission of disaster. What was your synopsis, Ryan? <laughs> oh, yeah. Avon gets kidnapped and then helps the Nile destroy a planet. Like That's pretty much the story. <laughs> okay. So my first thing with this book is, and this goes really to the second one, too. The time frame of phase two makes no sense to me. Like, I can't figure out when the Nile were defeated like this like and it's not even like they just think because i know we kind of joke like they just think after they fought lorna and had all that stuff with her that the nile will nile were taken down some but like Kara's tempest is now all on one ship so yeah, they've been beat yeah like yeah a, a lot of time has happened and a lot of people have been beat back and we've seen none of it maybe some of it we've seen in the comics but not like this no they took care of the drain gear in the comics mostly right. And so the Drengear kind of were killed off screen too, if you only read the books. But uh, yeah, this, this, I don't know where this idea is going that the Nihil have all been defeated. Did we see that? We did not. And I was going to ask you guys, I mean, did I miss something in the comics where the Nihil were beaten? Because just them breaking up with Lorna D and I mean, yeah, Pan, Panada's gone-ish and Lorna D's defeated sort of, but... Not to the extent that they're making it sound like in these books. But the last time we saw Lorna, she was hooked back up with Marcian Rowe. Right. Yeah, with her all ladies tempest. The timeline is weird. This, like I said, this one should have been should be read first. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know when they were defeated. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, they're desperate enough that they're kidnapping children now and being like, "Sure, you could be a space pirate." Can <laughs> like, we? Not even sure you can be a space pirate. It's you will be a space pirate or we're going to kill you. Hey, Star Wars writers, can we get off the kidnapping kids thing? <laughs> like you're doing it a lot like the Jedi. And then you can kind of argue that the Chiss do it with the Skywalkers. And then you got the the First Order does it. And now we've got the Nihil doing it. Can we just calm down on the kidnapping kids thing? That's all. Look, kids are small. They're easy to kidnap. They are. <laughs> They're easy to brainwash. I know. It just it just seems like gone to that well a few too many times to me now. No, I agree. I still enjoyed this, though. Yeah. It's a little slight. Like, I wish it w- there was more to it, but that just is the story. Avon gets kidnapped, and Vern and Emery try to find her. It's been a while since we've read Avon, but I remember her. She's like, you know, 
scientifically smart and likes to do experiments and stuff. But she's doing like Galen Urso level crystal, whatever it is. She's synthesizing kyber crystals. Yeah, putting flaws in them to make them explode. I was like, whoa, she's a little smarter than we thought. Oops, I I accidentally blew up a planet with a crystal. Don't. They do let her off the hook at the end a little too easy for actually blowing up a planet. (laughs) For for making a planet inhospitable. Embry's like, well, I mean, it really wasn't your fault. Yes, it was. Yeah, it totally was. (laughs) It wasn't like you were doing something and then accidentally this happened. You purposely designed these to blow up that machine. You knew that that shit was going to blow up. (laughs) And you messed up by putting in too much dynamite. Uh, Vernestra and Emery are just so lovable that uh, they carried me through the book. Yeah. Vern and Emery, I, I care about. I like them. My, my big problem was do not name a character Yeet and don't Yeet him. <laughs> and in 20 years, that will matter to no one. No one will even blink at that name. But right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, un- it's an unfortunate name. <laughs> Well, this is our problem I have with Vern. Okay, so when we last saw Vern, it was the very exciting. Mara Santeca has, like, told her this place to go. Yes, She's yes. got these, right. like, force visions. Like, it's set up to be like, this is something crazy is going to go down. And this one, Emery's like, you've progressed really well on meditating in hyperspace. And she's like, yep. And then they just move on. <laughs> I know. Where's the, where's the, where's the Senteca stuff? Where's the, where's the, the coordinates she was, was zapped into her head. Yeah. Where's Kevin? Oh, sorry. That's for later. That's, that's for, later. for later. And I understand this is the middle grade book. Like yeah. obviously, you know, they, <laughs> I assume that the majority of, the kids that are going to read this aren't reading the bigger adult books, but honestly, do we think there's a lot of middle schoolers reading? I don't, I mean, I guess they are, they're making them, but I would argue there's probably more adults reading this book right. than middle schoolers. Yeah. Right. It has to be, I hate to speculate again, but it has to be that phase three f- catches up from here or else they've made some gigantic mistakes. Yeah. Like they've set up some things that if they don't pay off in phase three, then then they're going to be very disappointing like that. I mean, it was it was such a dramatic moment when she's dying and she gives her these her last basically message to anyone in the in, in the mortal realm is here's these coordinates somewhere. Mm-hmm. We go through a whole book with Vernestra and not even a mention of it. Not even a mention of it. <laughs> no, it's so. like they've completely forgotten about it. Like, um, well, we'll get to that. That'll happen sometime. Hopefully. <laughs> But, but you don't will. even talk about it. It did, it did seem like Vernestra hadn't lived through the last book as much. No, it seemed like it was it was taking place at a different time, not just from the main book, but a different time from the last book. And, it, and as Ryan is quick to point out, um, or both of you pointed out, uh, uh, she should just tell everybody about her whip because no one cares. <laughs> it's so good. They Nobody cares. about it. Like she pulls it out and she's like, and the whip came out, and they're just like, yep, yep. <laughs> just uh-huh. move right on. <laughs> like, her. Uh, one thing I did think was funny, the head of security on Starlight Beacon turns out to be a Nile. I'm glad to see that High Republic Republic is just as incompetent as <laughs> yes. Prequel Republic. <laughs> and he just runs away. Like, that's all that story is, is they're like, yeah, he just left. And then they never come back to it. Where's that guy? We don't know. No, we, we never looked for him. You know, he's just gone. It's, so it's like Senator Starro. She shows up and she's like, they kidnapped my daughter. I'm very upset. 
and then she never appears in the book again. And then when we get to the next book, it's never brought up. Yeah, she shows up at the very end of this book. Yeah, I guess she does show up. Because he has a scene with Avon where Avon figures out that she's lying. Yeah. Well, and Emery, like, okay, and so that's a weird one, too. It's a little uh, dun-dun-dun leading into, why you know, finding out that her mom is a bad person. I feel like they were, and they didn't come out and say it, but Cinder Star Wars is who hit him, right? Like, because they talk, Emery... Emery smells her at one point. And then when he goes in the room, they make it a point to say he smells something there too. Right. Like it was her. She hit, what's his name? The Dahlia's vice president. She's the, uh, as we'll find out in the next book, she's the Baltar um, to, uh, to Battlestar Galactica fans. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's, she's being seduced by the charismatic, by someone charismatic, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, her. is he though? <laughs> Uh, apparently so, and uh, he's gonna, she's gonna betray everybody for for that reason. So, let's talk about the worst part of the book. Um, They're trying to figure out skaters? how to tow Starlight Beacon, and who comes to help. <sighs> but Galaxy's Edge opening soon. The Halcyon, probably yeah. fresh from a trip from Badu, where they got refreshing thermal detonator Coca Colas. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I was I I literally booed out loud when the Halcyon showed up. Here's here's the thing. I didn't mind it at first. I didn't mind it appearing because I knew it was gonna happen and that was fine. What I minded was a couple pages later where Emery's like, Man, I really hope we could take a tour of it. <laughs> yeah, that was so and it was like and then you know Emery's like, Do you want to come on a tour with me of the of the Halcyon? It's supposed to be amazing. And I'm like, Okay guys, we get it. Please get stop. It. None of us can afford to, to, to book a, a room there right now anyway. Come on. Oh, and you know it's just going to keep showing up everywhere. What, like Batu showed up in everything for a couple of years oh, there? Oh, I'm sure the Halcyon's going to Batu. We're going to see it. I will say I was surprised that they went through with destroying. I mean, they don't destroy the planet. And they do say, well... Some scientists will probably come in and fix it, and we'll be back in a few years. But I was kind of surprised they they didn't save them. Like, well, they didn't save the planet. They saved the people. Yeah. Yeah. It got fairly grim there. It was like watching climate change happen in like a week. Right. High-speed climate change. Avon does help kill that planet. <laughs> she really does. Yeah. Like it's, you can blame the Nile all you want, but... If without Avon there, that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Good job, smart girl. Uh-huh. So my last question is, and we talked about this on our previous news segment, the hints for phase two are in this book. Yes. What is it? Dolman. That's my thought. It's They, they keep mentioning an event that happened in the past on Dolman. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the feeling that what phase two is going to be is, because it lines up too with the Santecas when they first started mapping the hyperspace routes. I think we're going to start. I think phase two is going to be the Republic leaving the mid rim and going to the outer rim and some screw ups on the way. Oh my God. Am I finally going to learn how hyperspace works? Don't get your hopes up. No. (laughs) Damn it. You'll probably be more confused about it by the time it's done. Apparently you can tow people through it. (laughs) Yeah. apparently. Somehow they stop. I don't know. That whole thing. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think I think it was pretty clear in this what that that those were hints of that that's going to be something that comes up. Not necessarily that's what it's all about, right? 
But that's something that's going to come up. I think that's pretty clear. The tragic events of the Republic Fair have galvanized the galaxy. The Jedi and the Republic have gone on the offensive to stop the marauding Nile. With these vicious raiders all but defeated, Jedi Master Avar Chris has set her sights on Lorna D, the supposed Eye of the Nile, and has undertaken a mission to capture her once and for all. But unbeknownst to the Jedi, the true leader of the Nile, the insidious Marcion Roe, is about to launch an attack on the Jedi and the Republic on a scale not seen in centuries. If he succeeds, the Nile will be triumphant, and the light of the Jedi will go dark. Only the brave Jedi Knights of Starlight Beacon stand in his way, but even they may not be enough against Roe and the ancient enemy that's about to be unleashed. Moving on to the main book this week, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. Hyperspace disasters, unleashing killer tree monsters on unsuspecting worlds, chaos, and destruction at the Republic Fair on Valo. The Jedi don't have the best track record for dealing with the Nihil so far. You can't really blame Avar Chris for wanting to leave Starlight Beacon to try and finally capture supposed Eye of the Nihil Lorna D. I'm sure she'll get lots of blame once everyone figures out they went after the wrong person, but that's probably for another book. I hope. The Galaxy's Worst BFF and Jedi Poster Boy Stellan Geos has sent his bestest buddy, Elzar, off to meditate on his brush with the dark side with a virtual stranger so that he can take other pal Avar Chris's job on the Starlight Beacon without even telling her. His first order of business is to drag a whole-ass space station to help the planet Irem fix its desalinization plant for some reason. Seems a little excessive, but... What the hell do I know about dragging space stations through hyperspace? The real Eye of the Nihil, Martian Rowe, unleashes chaos disguised as the death rows of his group, which really isn't even his group anymore. Scattered attacks on colonies, ships, even Jedi temples spread the Republic forces thin while overwhelming the Jedi on Starlight with refugees. The perfect time for a really sneaky person to unleash their ultimate evil plan. And Martian Rowe is way sneakier and much more evil than we had ever thought before this. Remember how I haven't shut the hell up about Bell and him being okay for like the last, oh, six to nine months? Well, you can finally get a break because while he's not doing great... Turns out he is, in fact, okay. He's walking and talking. It's more than I thought. <laughs> He's not great. And and really, there were times when I was like, oh, this is going to make his death more tragic. Oh, it's going to be way worse when he dies now. But with all the deaths in this book, it's best not to get too attached to anyone. But for now, at least, I can stop worrying about Belle. He and Buryaga are helping with all the wounded being brought in 
when he sees Nihil defectors, Nan, and Chancy Yarrow being led to holding cells and is very correctly unsettled by their presence. They aren't a part of Marcianro's plans for Starlight, but they certainly don't mind causing a little extra trouble if they get the chance. And, oh boy, do they get the chance. Three Nihil have stuck aboard, snuck aboard in the crush of beings seeking help, first knocking out comms before sabotaging all the escape pods and the docking bay doors before moving on to even worse, much, much worse things. Coming on to Starlight Beacon with the refugees are some familiar faces to provide help and or comic relief, if you happen to think a giant rock is funny. Elzar Man and Wayseeker Orla Jereni have caught a ride to Starlight with the crew of the vessel, Afi, Leox, and our good friend, Geode. But there's more than just sabotage going on. All of the Jedi feel disconnected and a sense of wrongness coming from the Force. And if it had stopped at that, these things probably would have been, well, not good but not as bad as things are about to get because new Jedi friend, Regal Call, remember how I said not to get attached, mm-hmm. is husked. And Bell's new master is barely hanging on after some unknown force literally sucked the life out of them. And the Nihil free Nan and Chansey to have them help with the most diabolical part of their plan. Exploding the hell out of the Starlight Beacon. Now, with a name like Fallen Star, you knew something like this was coming. The top and bottom halves of the station are completely cut off from each other. Bell and Burry are trapped in the medical tower with no way to help the injured, and everyone else is trapped in the lower section with monsters and a cargo hold filled with mostly panicky idiots. Oh, and a wrath tars. To top it all off, the station has fallen out of orbit and is heading for the surface of the planet they were supposed to be helping. I guess it won't matter if the desalinization plant doesn't work if everyone on the entire planet is dead. So no one can call for help, escape, or use the Force, and it's at that point Nan and Chansey realize they done effed up and decide to try and save the station. But mostly because they couldn't fix the escape pods and wanted some kind of way to GTFO. Meanwhile, Bell has gotten the people in the medical tower saved. The crew of the vessel has fixed up some escape pods as well as come up with a way to get the cargo bay doors open, and Burry is going to help kill the Rathtar so that everyone has a chance to escape. Unfortunately for Nan and Chansey, Elzar is so pissed about the four dead Jedi that we know of at this point, <laughs> and countless innocent people who have died, that he's laser-sorting first and asking questions later as he cuts Chansey completely in half before she can finish fixing the thrusters. Oops. Stellan sends Elzar off in an escape pod while he flies what's left of the station into Irem's ocean, saving countless lives, 
and screwing up that desalinization plant yet again. While Stellan's death shakes the Jedi, it brings Avar and Elzar back together while rekindling Elzar's belief in himself and his strength in the Force and gave Bell a resolve to look for Buryaga and hope he somehow survived the Rathars. Martian Rowe didn't get everything he wanted out of the destruction of Starlight Beacon, but he's got a ship full of killer droids, force-sucking monsters, Senator Giris Staros in his pocket, and presumably his pants? And now the whole galaxy knows what he's capable of. And that is a very, very shortened synopsis of everything that happens in this book. But let's start with, you guys, Bell's okay. Bell's going to be okay. Bell's the only one that's okay. <laughs> and that's really what I wanted out of life right now, was for Bell to be okay. I, I didn't want to trade Burry for Bell, but since he, you know, died... And I don't know why I keep doing air quotes when we're not on video, but Burry he died dead. off screen. I've got more hope for him than I had for Bell at the start of this book, because there were so many times when I was like, oh, oh, no, now Bell's going to die. Oh, oh, things are going too good. Bell's going to die. Oh, Bell got away. Now he's going to come back and die. Let's be very clear. This is Star Wars 9-11. It's bad. This is the Jedi. This is the Jedi 9-11. That's what this is entire. I got such a 9-11 vibe from this thing. Such a Twin Towers vibe. The two different sections of the of the ship, and they're both going at different... I, I don't know. It just... It, remind, it was such a 9-11. <laughs> they talk about me. everybody watching it on the holonet, and people show up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got that towards the end when uh, the Chancellor and, and all her people were watching it, but you know, at the start of it, I got a very um, much more lighthearted feel from it, I guess, or as lighthearted as you can be watching a bunch of people die, because I got a Jason X crashing into the space station kind of thing. Yeah. And that's where I tried. I tried to keep my brain there, <laughs> for the most part, because it was far less horrifying that way. But so many Jedi died. I mean, a lot of other people died, too. But six Jedi that were named died. And and sorry that, you know, Burry is probably dead until proven otherwise, but disagree yeah i'm willing for him i'm happy for him to be alive but right now it's not looking great this is also the plot of harry potter and the chamber of secrets yeah (laughs) where there's a monster going around turning people into in this case ash instead of stone like the force monster is just a basilisk the basilisk Mm -hmm. and i'm super glad that we got to see two fights with wrath tars instead of getting to see those monsters yeah, so so let's. I guess we can go there. What is what is this thing? It's you I, know, it's the leveler. That's what it's called. I know, but I'm picturing like so in my head. I'm picturing like giant bloodthirsty salamiri. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a salamiri mixed with like I don't know the creatures from Attack the Block or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, I thought it was an interesting. I mean, this book's a horror film. A horror. It story. is. It's it's like the thing. It's just got this monster that's that's stalking these Jedi throughout the ship. When it's multiples of them. And, and like when, uh, when Elzar and Stellan are both traveling through the open space between the two parts of the space station and they can, they feel themselves getting closer to it and what it does to them when they get close to it. Like 
just how they lose focus of what they're doing, who they are, what's happening. And then they start to move further away from it. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, uh, what was that? <laughs> well, Elzar makes a pretty big decision there at the end. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty big decision. That that was the sh- most shocking moment of the book was El- Elzar cutting her in half at the end. Well, and for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, that he did it. But two, Chauncey was kind of built up in that last book that, you know, she was going to go work for the graphs and she's working on that, whatever it was, the heart of gravity weapon or whatever. And then she right. figured it out. And like, it seemed like they had set up a lot of plot for her, you know, and her daughter and all that stuff. And yep, nope, cut right in half. Well, and, and it's just this great irony. She's about to save the day. Yeah. And he kills her. <laughs> and he dooms the whole ship. I don't know how much you guys keep up with Doctor Who, but they kind of, whatever these monsters are, they kind of remind me of the silence. Like you you see them and then you forget about them immediately after you've seen them. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like that. I mean, it's it's close. We know it's small enough to in a small crate because that's what they said in the last book in Rising Storm. Yeah, when they go get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like the Leviathan. Do you remember those? The old Sith Leviathan. Yeah. And yeah. he controlled it by wearing the amulet and it did the same stuff. But there's multiples of them because Marshawn Road does say like uh, he regretted losing the creatures, but he knew where to get more of them. Well, yeah, because they went down with the ship. Right. That's what I don't get. Because in Rising Storm, does he just get the control rod or does he, is it behind the eye? I mean, the beast has to be there, at least one of them. Because when he's going to get the control rod thingy, that force sensitive that's with him feels the you know, force getting drained out of him. Yeah. So were they all there or does this rod he has now, the balancer, does it? I think we didn't see the rest of that scene. Yeah. Because we were point of view of the guy who died. Yeah. So I think that was intentional so that we didn't get to see what the leveler was, obviously. And uh, so, so we don't know. For a minute confused, I was like, okay, wait, did I forget something that I should know what these creatures are? Or is this um, something I didn't see in a comic? Or is this something that's just being kind of held in the in the background until we get to whatever's next? I love this series. I love these books. I really do. One thing I will say that is a problem with them is I do get that feeling a lot. And this is part of the way they're st- telling the story. And like we're talking about with the Nihil and with the drink gear, there's a lot of points where I go, wait, did we already know that or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or wait, that happened. Did, did it, did that happen? Like I get that a lot. And that's a lot ha- that has a lot to do with how they're telling the story and how fragmented the story is. You got to read the comics to understand how the drink gear fell. Right. Cause I had no idea. That the Drengear were just not a thing anymore. Yeah, and it just feels like the story's too fragmented. And if you're, you know, reading, I mean, I'm reading all of it, and I still go, what? <laughs> what, what, what? Wait, 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 huh? And then I have to, like, ask you guys, or we have to, I have to find out on the podcast that we didn't know about that, or we did know about that. It just, the storytelling's maybe too complex by half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's disjointed almost. Which can be effective. Yeah. Which can be effective. And, and I like it in general. But every once in a while, it's just like, huh? Did, did we do that already? 
Well, if I knew for a fact that we had not physically seen these creatures and that it was kind of being held in suspense, great, that's fine, and I'm okay with that. But to not know, to go, okay, well, was this revealed in a thing I didn't read? Was this in, you know, a kid's book or a comic that I didn't know about? I don't feel like that's, it's not that it's not okay, but it's just like, okay, I need some definitive information somewhere. I have a question. Why did I listen to Tempest Runner? (laughs) Where is she? They keep saying that Avar, well, I think at the end of it, Avar's got her. Because Avar comes back and says our mission was successful. She starts yeah. to say that when like the explosion happens. Yeah, she lands on the, the top half of the starlight before it gets blowed up. We just never see her. And then she takes off and just gone. And, and they're just like, oh, well, Avar's safe. Somebody told me she's okay. Well, no, we, we spend time with her down on the planet later. Because she crashes. At the she, end. She, yeah, at the end. But she ends up on the planet. Right, but I'm talking about for most of the book, you're just like, wait, wait, Avar landed. Is she okay? Oh, somebody said she's fine. All I right. think Avar, Avar's in the comics, but I think she's supposed to be mysterious. Like, I think she's supposed to be almost, you know, from obviously from um, from Elzar's point of view, she's untouchable. There's like an ephemeral quality to her. And I think that's intentional. I think they keep her, I think they keep her at arm's length on purpose. Well, Elzar sure didn't keep her at arm's length at the end. Nor when they were Padawans. Although, I mean, this book flat out says that, like, yeah, a lot of Padawans mess around. Yeah. <laughs> but also, they're they're yeah. embracing at the end. Yeah. And he, he's just like, I don't even care who sees that we're doing this because he knows that, you know, that's they're formally to the world showing this weird relationship they have. And at what point is somebody going to be like, hmm? you guys might want to split this up. I mean, if, if somebody in the last book was worried about Belle being attached to a pet, being attached to his dog, I think we should be a little more worried about the relationship between Elzar and Avar. We're just one makeout session away from everybody in matching tan robes. <laughs> it's coming. I do believe that Avar has come back with Lorna D or Lorna's dead or something, right? But uh, But we don't get that information. Like, you've got Roe, who's kicked everybody out and has his murder robot army now. And, yeah. you know, he's the only person he's hanging around is his assistant. And Cinder Staros, who has gone from, you know, a opportunistic senator to arm candy, basically. And betray- betrayer of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Who, once again, we said a mission, does not mention they kidnapped her daughter at all. But anyway. No. And so, like, he's obviously kicking everybody out after he sends his people on suicide runs. And But then at the end, they have a big Nile party and talk about how there's thousands of them there. Like, thousands and thousands come to this planet to celebrate when he does his speech at the end. Right. And then in Mission Disaster, we just saw there's only dozens left in the one tempest. I don't know where What's the Nile on? are right now. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of Roe is fine. Like, screw these guys. I don't need them anymore. I don't know why he doesn't, unless he's got tons of these uh, beasts or whatever. I don't know. Because I think, I think he, I, what I like about Marshawn in this is I think that he, he considers him, he is the Nile. Yeah, I do like at the end, he has that beat where he's, you know, he says, he decides where he's going to say, like, I or we. This galaxy, he knew he should say, is ours. He should reference all the Nile in his statement. Unify them in this ultimate statement of purpose. Instead, Rose said 
what he truly believed. This galaxy is mine. But I, I think it's the, the, if I have one fault with the higher public, it's that it's so disjointed that this is why I feel like I need some nerd who has more time and, and patience than we do to give me a really in-depth timeline of the higher public because I am having trouble following what is happening when. I don't think there's a way to create one. Like, I don't think the order is there. And I don't know if that's in purpose. Like, I don't know if that's on purpose. Like, they're kind of skipping some things to get to main beats of the story or, like, major right. events. But I don't know that there is a late But it feels like they're skipping major events. Right. It does. Oh, it absolutely does. Which, which again can be on purpose and can be for an effect. Well, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, great when we get to the end, I'll be like, oh, this is what it all meant. Oh, sure, that's, sure. That's a year down the road and I'm investing a lot of time and effort More. right now. More, we're about to flash back for a year. Yeah, it's true. So I, I just, I feel like they're they're not giving me the information I need to, you know, and I'm invested. I'm going to keep reading. And I love the characters and I love the stories, but I do feel like there's something missing from making it cohesive. It seems like they've made a choice in the High Republic that all the books cover one event. Like, you know, when you read like a Darth Bane, like decades go by. Whereas this one, you're going to read The Great Disaster, The Fair, Fall of Starlight, and then yes. you just kind of get these pieces around it, which is where you would think, I guess, the comics have somewhat filled in. The the, the main books all take place in like two days, mm-hmm. and then and then there's months in between them, and I don't I don't mind that. Yeah. So on a lighter note, Geode's kind of annoying. Like I, <laughs> I liked it in the I, I thought it was amusing in whichever book that was. I forgot what it was called, but. Is that out of the shadows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Geode kind of almost had a personality in this one. And I did appreciate that, you know, oh, sometimes he can magnetize himself and sometimes he can't. So that he made the the space jerk shoot himself. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Here's my problem with Geode flat out. Every single time he's mentioned, it's a joke. Yeah. Whether it's meant to be or not. But every time Gray cuts to Geode, it's... Geode's silence could fill the room. Uh-huh. Before Geode could speak, someone course, cut him off. because he's a freaking rock. He doesn't speak. <laughs> it's a joke every single time. And there are times later in the book where things are intense as hell. And I all I want to do is get to the next page to find out if are my heroes going to live or die. And it's still like Geode's silence said everything. And you're like, that's a joke. Whether you think it is or not, it's a joke. I don't think she's capable of writing a sentence about Geode that doesn't have a double entendre that sounds like a joke. Yeah. I don't mind, like, the character itself. Like, all right, send it rock. I can roll with that. Yeah. But jokes about, like, a guy thinking his wife is having an affair. Yeah. Like. With the rock? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was bad. I For me, this book, part of it, and I don't know if it's Claudia Gray's writing style that I associate with YA books, or this just came off more as a YA book, but I had to remind myself that this was the adult book for this phase. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of death, but 
There's a lot of death in some of the YA books. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say once it picks up, though, I was pretty invested. Oh yeah, I definitely was. Once actually. we got it, once we got into the nine eleven slash Titanic sequence, because it's also very Titanic, you know. Where it By splits the in time half. there's the stupid jokes about the Rock hitting on somebody's wife. I mean, we're we're pretty far into the book and we're invested. Sure. And I think it's not going to pull us out that badly at that point, and it, it takes you out of the moment. So let's talk about the dead. I feel like we should. Do you have that in memoriam music that you could play? I'll put. So, I'll either put like uh, <laughs> "It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday" under here. <laughs> maybe I'm. Maybe I miss you by uh, end of the road. One eighty two. Maybe I'll we'll talk just in the background. I'll softly saying like, "I will remember you." <laughs> <laughs> we, really, we can leave that to the pros. How about how about we leave that to the pros? I really liked Reginald. Uh huh. The funny Jedi. <laughs> the funny Jedi. And they make him very memorable for a reason. Yeah, I, I, and as soon as I saw him, and I was like, "Oh, he's such, he's got such a good personality. He's so funny. I've never seen him before. Oh shit, he's gonna die." But I was still shocked when he died. Um, to well, me, was, the most shocking one was Orla. Yeah, Orla was one of my biggest problems with this book because the mystery of how Orla keeps her clothes white died with her, and I really <laughs> want to know. Did. It did. That seems like they were setting more up, though. Like, all those conversations with Stellan about whatever their past was and whatever happened, that seemed like a lot of setup. Well, I need another Wayseeker to come into the series because I still have so many questions about Wayseekers, and they seem really interesting, and I want to know more about them, and now the only one that we know is dead. Especially because that's how they promoted... That was one of the big things they promoted when the High Republic was announced were these way seekers and that this was going to be a thing. And it really hasn't happened. I didn't mind. I liked the fact that they were, that um, they, they really set up this relationship with uh, Elzar and Orla. And I liked that they built her up in this. I mean, there, I think part of what you're trying to do when you do a, a, a character death in a story is you do want to feel that, feel that loss of potential. You know, you do want to feel that it's arbitrary. Sometimes. Sometimes you want it to be inevitable. Sometimes you want it to be fate. Sometimes you want it to be a heroic sacrifice like Stellan. And sometimes you just want it to feel like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Like she had so much more to give. Or she, in our case, she had so many more stories that we could tell about her, right? And I I like that. that It takes takes that away from us and it kind of simulates the, um, it kind of simulates the experience of grief, you know? Um, in a way that I, I found kind of interesting. Well, like uh, Nib- Nibiseek, I didn't really care particularly about Nibiseek, and I wasn't like, oh boy, I wanted to know all the stories. But, you know, we, we've traveled with this character, and when they came across her, I was like, oh, oh no. That happened off screen, right? Yeah, they just found the husk. Yeah, they just found the husk. Like, I, I only f- I felt bad about Nib because I like Burry, and so, like, Burry was very sad. So I was very sad for Burry. Maru dies off screen. Which, you know, Maru, that's a, I mean, not a big, but he's in the comics quite a bit. Well, he's yeah. in Mission to, Z- to Disaster as well. Yeah. That was kind of a surprising off screen. Yeah. There's a whole other, there's a whole other book that takes place in the, in the North Tower. Right. The, the whole top half of the station, like, I mean, 
Bell is just lucky to get the medical tower away from the whole thing, but I mean, everybody in the whole top half of the, the station is gone. Well, are they though? Because she pulls up. No, they don't all die. She pulls what's her shit called? The uh, the big one. Oh yeah, yeah. Avar's ship pulls up and like. I mean, I guess I don't know how exciting that story is. I mean, it starts to break and Avar's like, all right, everybody on the ship, let's go. And then off they fly. No, that's true. But there, there is like another story there that they're intentionally withholding from us. Yes. Like they know what they're doing. They know they're, whether or not they're ever going to tell that story, who knows? Maybe maybe Ryan's right. Maybe there's not enough to tell. Well, I mean, Mar- Maru's on it because they, they do feel, I mean... I don't remember if it's Stellan or Elzar, but they feel it when the station breaks up and in atmosphere and he feels, one of them feels all the people die that were left behind. You think it's Maru's the one that's holding the station together as it dies? I think so. Is that what it says? I think so. I don't remember for sure. I think it was Maru that was, Maru and maybe some others that were trying to hold the station together while it was burning up. It would make, I mean, it makes dramatic sense just because he was the one keeping the station together in the first place, right? Right. And then we have the big death. The big, the biggest death. Master Geos. I was expecting Elzar to give his life in a way of reconnecting with the light side as being like, a, here's how I redeem myself in the forest. But uh, they chose to have him redeem himself in the forest by... Oh, I was going to say, by cutting a woman in half? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, he's got a lot to make up for for that. Yeah, Elzar's got a lot to make up for. Yeah. He's the reason Stellan's dead. Elzar's going to go real bad. <laughs> All I don't, the bad I don't things know. that I thought were going to happen to Bell are going to happen to Elzar. It's refreshing, though, to get this big Jedi story and there's no Sith. Yeah. Yet. No, no, there's no, there's no Sith. We, we, we're, we're nine books in no Sith, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just refreshing to, to for them to have another challenge. I, uh, with Stellan, I like the story beat or the plot, I guess, of Stellan disconnecting himself from the force because of the leveler and like that whole thing where he kind of has to figure out like, I've never just been myself. I've always been the Jedi order. I thought that was a good... Who am I if I turn the force off? Right. Yeah. You know, am I anybody? You know, which is which is a story you see and happen in superhero comics a lot, right? Right. Where a hero will lose their powers and try to figure out, you know, who who are they now? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, seeing a Jedi do it uh, is interesting. I think Ulit Keldroma in the old uh, Legends comics, he had he lost, he had the Force stripped from him and lived out the rest of his days without being able to connect to the Force. I think maybe they got into that a little bit there. Uh, but but I like the fact that him keeping himself, the fact that he was disconnected from the Force actually helped him. Yeah. Because the, the leveler didn't, he, he wasn't using the Force very much, and so the leveler didn't affect him as much. Well, uh, that's why um, Bell and Elzar weren't affected as deeply at first as well because they had both cut themselves off to an extent yeah from the force so they would stop feeling things so strongly because bell was clearly upset as as i am still upset about loden great storm he really is upset about loden we hear about it every 25 pages (laughs) (laughs) it's been a while you need to get over it buddy (laughs) yeah you guys are you guys are space knights. Some of you ain't coming home. <laughs> they don't give you those lightsabers because you're going out to spread daisies. Like 
I just remember, <laughs> imagine like Indira being like, yep, I know. I heard all about it there, buddy. Let's get back to training yeah. now. <laughs> now, I didn't read this. I listened to it. A couple of things about listening to it. Um, Leox is Matthew McConaughey. Why would anybody haul a bunch of animals up here as part of a terrorist attack? I can see that. Here's the thing, though. Claudia Gray has said in interviews that she wanted him to, that he was designed to be Matthew McConaughey in space. So uh-huh. Mark Thompson does a full on McConaughey impression. Uh-huh. Um, there's a couple voices that like sound like voices from Thrawn. His Nan isn't that far off from his Thalius, you know, <laughs> like it's just going to happen. But uh, I still like his Martian Rowe voice, I think is really good. Um, I also listened to The Great Disaster because my Kindle died and I had a token. I had a um, a credit left on Audible. So I listened to Mission from Disasters. That was read by a woman I hadn't heard before. She did a pretty good job. She didn't, when I kind of appreciated with that one is she doesn't, she didn't try to do the men's voices like too manly, like Mark Thompson tries to do the women. She just kind of read the lines and that totally worked for me just fine. <laughs> As opposed to her trying to put on a gruff voice. I did think it was funny. So, you know, they're, they're at the planet. Starlight is because these poor people are running out of water and stuff. Yeah. And they're going to run out of water soon. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So at the end, the Jedi, who have been on Starlight the entire time, just fix it in like five minutes. <laughs> They're like, yeah. all right, all right, here we go. <laughs> and then they just lift it up and fix it. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like, could you have done this? I mean, I guess they say this is like the final piece. But yeah. come on, guys. Like, I thought the visuals at the end, though, of Stellan like guiding it into the ocean and everything were really powerful. I kind of liked how... There's like a dueling, and I am curious to see how this plays out. Because Martian Rowe views this as the galaxy's going to see, you know, this great can do. disaster and how awful we are. But then on the Jedi's perspective, they talk about, and the Chancellor says this too, that you're going to see how the Jedi can save people and how the Republic, you know, carries on and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's not as like clear cut as the people who I hear you and the people who knocked down these buildings will hear you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I do. Yeah, I agree with that. It can be swung played both ways. What did we think of Martian's robot army though? Is he just becoming like a, like a insane? I, I see it as a becoming more insane and paranoid kind of thing. Like he's going to start having a, jars of urine and he's going to see bugs everywhere. Paranoid's a better word for it. Yeah. That he's he, because it's like it's like he can't trust sentient beings, well, right? Cuz I mean rightly can't. so because you he create he created this army of betrayers and and criminals. The and, idea that, you know, if you want something you have to fight and take it. And that's kind of all his fault. Well, I don't really get his end game though. Because in the end he basically says I do not wish to rule the galaxy, he said. If I did, you would be under my boot even now. But I will take what I wish when I wish it. And no one will stand in my way. Republic, Jedi, or anyone else. They cannot stand in my way. The Nile have proven our power. 
and we will use that power however we choose. Which is, you know, all well and good, but I don't know if that jives with having what a he robot did. army. And yeah, yeah well, pissing off the entire galaxy doesn't really leave you much space to be left alone. I mean, I guess he's kind of telling the Jedi, you're not welcome here. Basically saying, stay out of the rim. Yeah. And I kind of like it's different, like, because, you know, usually we see the one that wants to take over the galaxy and wants to be the ruler and all that. And he just wants to pirate out there, I guess, with his robot ship. I can show my face to you and you can't do anything about it. That's what he's trying to say, right? Like, I'm untouchable. I'm pretty sure they're going to do something about it. Yeah, we won't know for like a year and a half. That's the killer part about this flashback is that when we, when we flash back 150 years, that's going to last a year and more. Yeah. If not more, I don't know. So we got a year and a half before we get to get back to the story probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's, a, I'll admit that's a little frustrating. I like the idea of the flashback, but it's a little frustrating. Yeah. I, I wish it had happened like at the, at the beginning or at the end of a phase. Yeah, no Tyoric in this book. Um, yeah, no there was Porter a whole Angle. droid. There was no Porter Angle. There was a whole droid thing. And like you said, they didn't bring Kevin in. You're going to put a bunch of droid, an astromech droid network together and you don't get Kevin involved. Or even just mention it. Yeah, just mention it. Look, this guy Kevin showed me how to do it's this. It's the Kevin <laughs> Maneuver. Yeah, It is the Kevin Maneuver. <laughs> Exactly. That was very frustrating. I mean, I know we latched onto a minor character in the very first book, (laughs) but still, he wasn't. Where is Kevin? Where is Kevin? I don't don't care. I would like to know where Kevin is. I'd like to know that he's okay. Somewhere in the galaxy, Kevin is doing well. My last note, and I shared this with you, what may be one of my favorite sentences in all of Star Wars now, and it is for Mission to Disaster. Avon had an 87.3% rate when it came to hijinks and varying shenanigans. <laughs> I like that. It's so good. <laughs> and I like, cause a little later she's like, she was, she, she gets busted and she's like, well, I'm in trouble, but also I'm losing a few percentage points on this yeah. one. Yes. I, I, I do very clearly recall that when she redid her percentages. <laughs> yeah. Cause she was like, she said, this is going to bring me down two percentage points at least. <laughs> Stellan always saw the Force as the firmament, as brilliant and expansive as all the stars in the galaxy. He told me that he saw the three of us as a constellation. Elzar's vision blurred with tears. He fiercely blinked away. An incomplete one now. No, he's still with us, as surely as the Force is with us. Stellan has become one with the Force, after all. Avar leaned her head against Elzar's shoulder. And when we think of him, we can always find him, as long as we look to the sky. Elzar held her close. Our pole star still shines. So, Chad, what are we going to talk about in two weeks? In two weeks, we have a very special episode. We are going to be talking about Ryan's favorite show in the history <laughs> of television. We're going to be talking about the six part book of Boba Fett, but just like we have done in the past, we're not going to do it alone. Who are we, who's coming on with us, Beth? Oh, we have the incandescent Gary Mitchell 
And super special guest stars who, well, one of them has been on the show, but one of them is not. We have the hosts of the Clown is Down podcast, Keith Cooper and Pete Reddington joining us as well. Do I even know Keith? I don't think I do. <gasps> yes, you know Keith Cooper. I don't think I do. There's no way you don't know Keith Cooper. I'm no, I'm sure I've met Keith. I don't know if I knew I met Keith. We were we were drinking a lot in those days. That's true. Fair. <laughs> there was a lot of drinking going on. I just turned. Yeah. I will say about the next episode. It's going to get heated. <laughs> it's going to get a little heated. Lots of opinions are going to be some, flying. Some people love right. Boba Fett. Some of us are right. We're going to, but we're going to remain, <laughs> remain but we're going to remain respectful. I, I will no, I will not personally attack anyone. If you choose to like Boba Fett, that is your choice. And I also think we should make sure to not. Um, I want a nice level-headed conversation about. I'm, it I'm not coming at it aggro. Here, here's the feeling that I don't want to come away with. I'm disappointed the show's not great. I don't want people to be happy the show's not great. I don't want it to be a celebration of the fact that it sucks. No, it doesn't suck. Oh, no. It it doesn't suck. Yeah. I'm saying the bar was set way way high, and we yeah. have a good show, but our expectations were extremely high. And it's been divisive. It totally has. But we'll we'll talk about it. We'll go through it an episode at a time like we did with Mandalorian, like we did with Bad Batch. And, uh, you know, we like to have friends on when we do that to uh, to talk about that stuff. And uh, it'll be fun to have Keith on. It's good to have a, a first-time guest. And um, we will work our way through the Book of Boba Fett and figure out what the hell Episode 5 was all about. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, guys. And thank you all for joining us tonight. We will talk to you all again soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh. Roger, roger.